Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's bright and early, at least uh, on the Pacific West Coast in San Francisco on Monday, the 13th of June. The headlines today are all about the January 6th hearings. Um, lots of photos about uh, the supposed attack on the United States Capitol, uh, the insurrection. Uh, one of the pieces of news is about uh, the chairman of Trump's campaign canceling his appearance. Um, the Washington Post also leads on the January 6th insurrection. Of course, the insurrection, and again, we have to use these words carefully, was premised, at least from the point of view of people participating in it, on what they saw was an unfair election. We're going to be talking fair and unfair elections today with my guest. She works at the Fair Elections Center, um, and uh, she's a vice president, uh, Rebecca Carruthers. Uh, she's talking to me from just outside Maryland. Uh, Rebecca, welcome. Uh, I know, like everybody else, you're glued to these hearings. What do you make of them in terms of... Um, the accusations from the participants in this event on January 6th that the election was unfair, the, uh, the 2020 presidential election. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, what's interesting about the 2020 elections, they were the safest elections and most secure elections that we've had in our nation's history. We had so many people participate in our elections. It was record-breaking when we saw the number of young people, when we saw the number of black and brown people within the United States participating um, in the 2020 elections. And I think it was a result as all of those people coming together, whether they were black, white, old or young, students or non-students who wanted to vote, I think it was that excitement that frightens certain people in this country, people who don't believe that everyone in this country has the right to fully participate in our democracy. One of the other headlines today is that the man who carried the Confederate flag, for people watching, you can see the image of a man with a Confederate flag. Um, he's also going on trial. The Confederate flag, of course, in the United States in the 2020s is very much associated with racism. How much, Rebecca, do you think the insurrection was bound up in either explicit or some sort of unconscious racism? So our country is changing. The, demograph the demographics are showing that we are increasingly becoming a more brown nation, meaning that a majority white in this country is no longer going to be a thing. When we look at public um, school education and we look at the number of black and brown children enrolled in public schools, they have outpaced their white counterparts. When we look at the birth of black and brown babies, we see that this is outpacing um, the birth of white children. And so there is an element in this country that does not like that. 
there's an element in this country that believes that this is for those who originally came over um, to settle the United States and no one else should dare be a part of our democracy. And that's unfortunate. Um, but what we see is that increasingly in order to engage and have a um, civil society in our country, we're seeing that our marginalized communities, our black communities, our brown communities, our people um, who are of various um, abilities who are disabled are participating in our democracy. And like I mentioned before, those people who showed up to the Capitol on January 6th to stop the count are people who don't want the wide, um, the, the wide range of our demographics participating um, in our elections, having a say in how this country works and in how this country runs. How much have some Republicans, at least, um, Rebecca, do you think, come to their senses? There was an election in Georgia in May, um, and the, the Georgia voters, mostly white Republican voters, voted ag against Trump. The headlines are, uh, it was a bad night for the big lie in the Georgia Republican primary. It's not as if all white Republican voters are voting for the big lie, is it? Well, one thing that I want to point out is increasingly across this country, Americans know that we have safe and secure elections. And that's regardless if you're Republican, and if you're a Democrat, if you're a Libertarian, if you are a nonpartisan, you understand that when you go to vote, it is safe and it is secure. That is the opinion of the majority of the country, regardless of political affiliation. What's unfortunate is that we had elements in this country who, at, who listened to the previous president, who um, listened to the worst of things, of thinking that someone was coming to take their country away from them and not understanding that this country works best when everyone who is in this country is able to participate. Who, or that everyone in this country are able to share their ideas, that everyone in this country has a say in how our government is run. As I said at the beginning, uh, Rebecca, you are a vice president at the Fair Election Center, a national nonpartisan voting rights and election re reform organization based in Washington, D.C. What exactly do you do? Not you personally, but the organization. Of course. So we look for ways to make sure that election administration is carried out in this country using best practices. So we put together um, voter guides as well as state guides and other policy pieces of letting election administrators know things that they can do to make sure that it's easier for people to vote, that is accessible for people to vote, and looking for ways to encourage people to vote. In addition to that, we do have a litigation team where there are times where we do have to go to court to make sure that voting rights is upheld. Um, we also recruit poll workers through workelections.org, which provides the data for power of the polls. We believe that poll workers who work um, the day of the election and even leading up to the election should be diverse and reflect those within our country. And finally, we have our campus vote project. With our campus vote project, we partner with campuses in over 41 states to look for ways to make sure that students fully understand that they have the right to vote, they should exercise the right to vote, and they should know how to register to vote. What's amazing in 2020, some of our college students didn't even know um, how to go find a stamp. 
um, to mail their ballot. So one of the things that we do is provide some of that information to young people to make sure that they are full participants in our democracy. We've done a number of shows about the current state of the American electoral system, not just from the right, but from the left. Uh, my old friend Carol Anderson was on the show. She's been on many times. She has a new book out, One Person, No Vote. Uh, Michael Waldman as well. Uh, his classic book, uh, The Right to Vote, has now been turned into The Fight to Vote. What's the current state of the democratic electoral system in America? Are you at the Fair Election Center, are you troubled by it? Uh, certainly, uh, Carol Anderson and Michael Waldman, who were both progressives, are troubled by it. So one of the things that we really want to see, we want to see Congress to pass some meaningful voting rights legislation to strengthen, to help strengthen our democracy. There are things, there are national um, standards and national things that we need to see Congress to act on, especially when we have a Voting Rights Act that has been severely gutted by the Supreme Court. In fact, the Supreme Court even asked Congress to step in and do something. And I'm, up until this point, Congress has showed that there are some people willing um, to do something. But then in the Senate, that's where we see voting rights legislation um, sputtering. And so we need to see, especially the United States Senate, to move forward on the voting rights legislation that the House has passed and sent over to the U.S. Senate. Are you encouraged with the latest news about a, a bipartisan gun deal, which didn't seem very likely before the latest carnage? Do you think that a, a bipartisan gun deal might be um, might might be a message to to, to to America that anything's possible if they can do a deal on guns, they can certainly do a deal on voting rights. Well, we want to see Congress to work and to function the way that Congress is actually supposed to function, which means that when the American people feel strongly on a particular topic and they're reaching out to their representatives, we want to see their representatives actually use the process of introducing bills, sending it to committee, having rigorous debates, and then finally send it to the floor to vote on it. We want to see that in the House and we want to see that in the Senate. And so fair elections, and making sure that people have access to be able to vote, to make sure that voter registration guidelines are clear. Those are all things that the American public overwhelmingly supports. So we need to see Congress follow the will of the people and make sure that we are strengthening our laws to make sure that everyone who wants to participate in our democracy, everyone who wants to be able to vote, to be able to register to vote, and then to be able to um, actually vote. Uh, Rebecca, I'm in San Francisco, as I suggested at the beginning. Uh, recently, we had a, uh, a recall drama. The San Francisco district attorney was recalled, uh, Chesa Boudin. Some people believe that that's not a good augury for democracy. What's your feeling on these recall elections when it comes to fair elections? Is it something that you think might undermine fair elections or is it simply part of the democratic process? The ability to recall is a part of the, uh, the democratic process. I would say to anyone who is participating in a recall to make sure that you are organizing, making sure that you're getting the word out, making sure that the general public, the voting public understands what's at stake on the ballot. And so that's, um, so, 
so in general, if folks want to do a recall, then that's, you know, that's their, um, if that's something that they want to do, then that's something that they do. We just want to make sure that whenever there is an opportunity to vote, that it is safe, it is secure, and it is accessible to all. Um, we've done some shows on local democracy as well, one with the journalist Nick Oshner on um, what he, he wrote a book called The Vote Collectors, the true story of the scamsters, politicians, and preachers behind the nation's great greatest uh, electoral fraud. This was about... Um, a local fraud, I think it was in Kentucky. How secure are local elections? Are there, on the local level, on the state level, are there things in the American system that particularly trouble you? So, like I mentioned earlier, we do need a set of national standards of how we vote. We do need to make sure that there are ways to strengthen um, um, guidelines on voting. We do need to make sure that local and state jurisdictions have access to, access to the resources that they need. However, one thing that I want to emphasize, and all of the ballots cast and all the elections, whether it's federal, state, or local that we see across the country, they have been overwhelmingly secure. They have been overwhelmingly fair. And that's one thing that I want to mention here. The reform that Fair Election Center is looking for is for ways to make our process more efficient, ways to make sure that, for instance, we don't see um, in certain states that have introduced um, voter suppression laws, especially um, in 2021, and even as late as this year in 2022, we want to make sure that there aren't onerous um, bills being made into law that will make it harder for people to exercise their right to vote. For example, in Arizona, there was a bill introduced this year that would make people have to verify their weight on their voter ID. So you tell me, your listeners, please tell me, what does my weight have anything to do with exercising my right to vote. So we need national protections to make sure that we don't have localities um, doing extraneous things, just targeted to make it harder for some sections as for um, certain demographics within our country um, from being able to vote. Uh, Rebecca, we had Martha S. Jones on the show about uh, the struggle, particularly for uh, African-American women to vote in the American election. She has a classic book out, Vanguard, how black women broke barriers, won the vote and insisted on equality for all. Do you think there's a need for more education in schools about the struggle to vote, particularly in the context of minorities? Education is also, of course, uh, very much a, a, a controversial issue. Uh, but do you think kids need to understand that voting wasn't God-given, that it required enormous struggle, for example, for black women? Education should never be controversial. I think within this country, civics need to be taught K through 12. We need to make sure that our young people, that people who are going to be entering into our process of being able to vote, understand the history, understand the struggle, understand the reasons why they should take the opportunity to register to vote, and then to exercise their right to vote. One of the books that I'm currently reading is Fearless by Charlene um, Butts-Ligon. Um, she wrote this book about her mom 
um, who in the 1960s was a poor seamstress in Virginia and challenged the state poll tax in Virginia. This case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. I think stories like Evelyn T. Butts, it's so important. It's important for students and young people to understand the struggles in this country. As we struggle to create a more perfect democracy, we do have to make sure that people within our democracy understand where we've come from in order to understand why we continue to fight and to push forward to make sure that everyone is a part of our democracy, has the ability to participate and to engage. You mentioned, Rebecca, a perfect democracy. Is a perfect, uh, the, the struggle for a perfect democracy, which of course can never really happen. No democracy is ever completely perfect. But we had Ibu Patel on the show. Uh, he has a new book out, We Need to Build Field Notes for a Diverse Democracy. Do you think that a more perfect democracy is a more diverse democracy in America? Is this the, uh, the should this be the goal of uh, organizations like the Fair Election Center and others concerned with the future of democracy in America? A more perfect democracy reflects those who live in the democracy. Our country is very diverse, whether it's along gender, non-binary, whether it's on race, ethnicity, whether it's on religion, those who do not have a formal religion that they practice, that is our democracy. Those are the people who make up our democracy. Those are the people who are our neighbors, who attend um, community events wherever we live. Those are the parents who take their kids um, to soccer games. Those are the folks who are around us. So what I'm saying here is that everyone in this country should be able to participate in this. That is the promise of America. And you're right, we'll never be a perfect democracy. But as we look for ways to continue to improve our democracy and not just say, hey, we've arrived here, it's an opportunity for us to look for more ways to get more people involved in our country. And that is a good thing. I take all your points, Rebecca, but as these hearings go along, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post and shall we say mainstream, what might people call liberal media, progressive pundits like yourself um, are articulating one position. But there is also there's probably 30, 35 percent, 40 percent of Americans who are sullenly probably choosing not to watch this hearing. Uh, I think Fox isn't running it. Does it concern you? that some Americans have simply switched off. We've had a number of shows about America teetering on the brink of civil war. It's all very well talking about diversity and all, all, all the rest of this ideology, which I probably share with you. But there are a, a significant proportion of Americans who don't agree with this. What is your feeling on that? Are you worried about a sliding into some sort of violence? So I'm from middle America. I'm from Nebraska. That's where I was born. That's where I was raised. That's where I was educated even through law school. And one thing I would say about my neighbors, my family, my friends, my community in middle America is that we still care about our neighbors. We still care about what's going on. We still care about a lot of the kitchen table type things. And so I think in order to bring more people into the process, 
in order to um, help people understand why the events in January 6th was so important is that we have to relate it to their everyday life to help them understand that, look, on January 16th, what we saw was some people in this country who didn't want to see a peaceful transfer of power. Even if I don't agree with my neighbor's vote, one thing that we should be able to agree on is that all of us have the right to vote. All of us have the right to be heard. And at the end of the day, when the ballots are all tallied up, even if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, we still have to agree that as a society, we're going to be civil. We're going to accept the results of an election and we're going to move forward. Well said, Rebecca. I hope you're right. Um, finally, you mentioned one book you were reading. Anything else um, for our audience? Books on American politics, on American democracy that you might be that you think might be helpful if we are to have a more perfect American political system and electoral system. Sure. I always tell your readers to go to Amazon and start with Fearless. I think it weaves a really great story. It weaves a really great American story that serves as a backdrop to understand why there are many of the of of uh, folks like myself who are fighting to make sure that regardless of how people vote, what political affiliation that they have, I fight to make sure that everyone has the right to vote and that there aren't any encumbrances stopping them from exercising their right to vote. 